Welcome to Origin Gates Daily Podcast called Wisdom's Echo. I'm Samantha Mahoney and today I want to try and bring some balance of perspective on the terms that Christian use so often, which is God is love. Now, while that is an absolute truth, sometimes it can be used by us to excuse sins that we knowingly participate in. It's used as a justification for us not to take responsibility for the junk that needs dealing with in our lives. One of my pet peeves is when someone on Facebook or in church or whatever it is speaks out against what the Bible calls a blatant sin and then other Christians jump on the one that's shining the light on this truth with statements like, you're not showing love, you're being judgmental, God loves them and doesn't judge, so why are you? Are you kidding me? Of course God is going to judge sin and I must first take the plank out of my own eye before I can judge the speck in my brother's eye. That's the protocol for judging so that I can judge out of righteousness rather than self-righteousness. 1 Corinthians 6 3 just confirms this. It says, do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more so the things of this life? Using the God is love truth statement out of context is only bearing us deeper in our mess until it overwhelms us mentally, physically, and spiritually. And then we start saying things like, God is so far away. I feel like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Or we say, I know God loves and cares about everyone, but I just don't feel like he even likes me at this point. Our sin separates us from God relationally. And the Bible says so in Isaiah 59 verse 2, which is why you're going to be feeling like this if that is the attitude that you're adopting. There are some teachings out there today that say we've been pre-forgiven and therefore there is no such thing as sin. But if there's no sin, what does that mean? There's no need for repentance. Well, if that's the case, then why would the word say in 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Or what about Proverbs 28, 13 that says, Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So it's sort of like a maths equation, but let me put it in English for you. If you want to be forgiven, then you must first confess. You have to acknowledge that you've fallen short, right? Do you feel like sometimes... Everything is so much and you just want to be refreshed and revived. Well, there is a key for that and it comes from Acts 3 verse 19. It says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. May I also dare to suggest that healing can be found in repentance. James 5 verse 16 says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So there is something to do with healing and it's probably physically or mentally or emotionally or whatever it is that's connected to confessing our sins. And these are just some of the things that I'm putting towards you for consideration today. Yes, I absolutely agree. God is love and his love has so many forms. Just like we experience in our day-to-day lives. If we look at how we physically receive or see love, I mean, different people interpret love in different ways. And to some, love means my significant other takes out the trash for me on very cold nights so that I don't have to go out in the cold. And to me, that looks like love. To others, 
Love is expressed by maybe reciting a romantic poem or going out for a romantic dinner. Or love is found in buying someone their favorite flowers. Or love is expressed when you're tender and sensitive to a need. We all interpret love in different ways by different actions that are being done. And the same is true of God's love. You can feel his love in a thousand ways too. When you feel like you're in your darkest hour, like the dark night of the soul, but you feel his gentle presence comforting you, that's him showing you his love. Or could be that you're in an 11th hour crisis and you go, God, if you don't show up, I'm in, I'm in stukas, okay? And then he shows up with the answer just in time. Or you may tangibly have a experience where God sends his guardian angel to protect you from a catastrophe. Maybe it was an accident you were about to get into and he supernaturally intervenes and stops you. For me, the way that I know that God loves me, that touches me in my deepest, innermost parts are through his creation. And he knows that I love it. Like I adore sunsets. Okay, I'll just be straight up with you. Sunrises are just way too early for me to even take notice. But sunsets, oh my gosh, when there's that sky and it's been lit up by this beautiful sun, that, that gets me in my deepest parts. And I actually feel, God, you did that just for me. And that's how I begin to feel his love. But do you know that love is also expressed in pain and suffering? I know that some of us are not going to like that statement, but it's true. Pain and suffering has a purpose. It's to propel you to your next level. Or it could be to save your soul from going down a destructive path. Even the word says about Jesus that he learned obedience through his suffering. Sometimes we intentionally disobey. We know God has told us to do something and we, t we, we willfully disobey him. And so he chastises us in various ways. And it's because he loves us. And I know that's hard to grasp, but I always like to compare this to memories from my own childhood. When I did something wrong or was disobedient, my father used to spank me saying, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Or he'd say, I only do this because I love you. And it normally went with the, with the spanking, you know. He, he sort of like chimed it together. So he would smack me and go, Samantha, I only do this because I love you. So that was a very long spanking. <laughs> but he'd also say, if I don't do this, if I don't um, discipline you, then the seed of disobedience and rebellion is going to grow an ugly tree in your life and it's going to get you in trouble in the future. I must say, I never really understood how this could be connected to love until I had my own children. And if you think about it, it's pretty much the same. If you've got a kid who is um, one of those kids that's disobedient and you tell him when you come to a road, it's dangerous. You need to look left. You need to look right. You need to look left again before you even step out. If you've got a child that willingly, because he gets a reaction from you, runs into the road so that you run after him and grab him. That child, if you don't discipline him, eventually one day will be hit by a car because that's what happens when you don't take care while you're crossing a road. And so there is going to be obedience through suffering. You see what I'm saying? And so God, he brings in that discipline to save us from something down the road. And I also want to say this, spanking a child for discipline is not child abuse. 
The word clearly says in Proverbs 13, 24, he who spares the rod hates his son. That's a freaking strong word. But he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Solomon asserted it in Proverbs 22, 15. He said, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Now, let me just take a minute to be very clear here. Obviously, I'm very aware that there are abusive family situations where punishment is not used as discipline, but it's more harmful. And I'm not condoning that at all. What I'm referring to is discipline in the context of the word, which means to bring correction and change behavior towards life, not to damage and destroy and cause trauma and other harmful things that abused children go through. So let me just make the distinction there between discipline and abuse. God shows us his love through discipline. And there is a caution about us rejecting it. Proverbs 3.11 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. Oh, I heard you say you want a New Testament confirmation. Okay, so here it is. Hebrews 12 verse 5, it says, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Verse 8 goes on and says, if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. You are not true sons and daughters at all. So this discipline is part of God's love. It is part of the way that he shows us his love. Not only the compassion and the mercy, but it's the discipline as well. Love is likened to a coin. You know, it's one physical object that you can hold in your hands, but it actually has two sides. You know how we play those things heads or tails, okay? So too when referring to love, it's one entity, but it has two sides to it. One is called in Hebrew chesed, and it manifests as love, mercy, kindness, compassion. But the other side of that coin of love is called gavura, and it manifests as judgment, justice, discipline. So on the one side seems to be harsh, and the other is soft, but actually the two go hand in hand with each other. There cannot be love on the one side without having it on the other. There has to be that balance. And God alone determines which is necessary to use, but it's still love. The next example that I want to share with you, it may cause offense, depending on your perspective. But I believe that the Lord allowed me to see how his love operates and is offered. I personally love reading biographies and watching documentaries of different people's lives and experiences. I love seeing how sometimes people are exposed to brutal situations in their lifetime. But then they share what the catalyst was to helping them overcome the odds. And that's, that's pretty much why I like these documentaries and um, biographies so much. There's an, a documentary currently circulating on Netflix and it's called The Night Stalker. It's actually one of the top five in New Zealand at the moment. And it's based on actual events in the 1980s. There was a serial killer who went on the rampage, I think it was 1985-86, in California and San Francisco. And it spanned over a period of just over six months. His MO 
was not limited to one particular type of killing. In other words, he didn't just go for, um, let's just say, prostitutes, or he didn't go just for the elderly. Anybody was game for this guy. He killed men. He raped and he killed women. He preyed on the elderly. He killed teenagers. He abducted children from their schools and homes to sexually abuse them, but then he would let them go afterwards. From my own perspective, watching this man's life and his actions play out, he could be considered in my own eyes as pure evil. He accredited his work to Satan. He was a Satanist. He drew pentagrams at some of the sites of these murders. He had a pentagram tattooed on the palm of one of his hands, which he showed to the public one day after a day in court. He broke into a home the one time, um, killing a father, raping the mother and sodomizing their young eight-year-old son. In another home, he broke in and he told the mother that he would kill her son if she screamed. And she replied, I swear to God, I will not scream. So he slaps her in the face and he says, no, swear to Satan. As I said, from my own perspective, pure evil. When he was eventually caught, he didn't display any remorse at all. And in fact, he was thrilled to hear that he'd, be, that he'd be incarcerated in the same prison cell as what the Hillside Strangler used to be in. The community's reaction was one of the things that stood out to me. It defied logic. He'd unleashed such hatred, evil, and fear on the community in two states. And yet, some of the women would send him love letters and seductive photos of themselves. Others tried to emulate him. Others had pentagrams tattooed on their palms, just like him. At his trial, he was found guilty on all charges and he was given the death penalty. However, he was in prison for over two decades and eventually died from cancer. After watching that documentary of Richard Ramirez's life, I found the enormous impact of his carnage. I, I felt it um, emotionally. I felt grieved for the families who lost loved ones so gruesomely. They had lots of interviews with some of these family members and some of the survivors. Um, as I said, some of his victims survived and, and I pondered on the trauma that they had had to overcome through their lives. Some families seemed willing to forgive because it had been a long time, you know, and they would sort of dealt with their stuff. But others were defiant that he should never receive forgiveness from them, although he wasn't asking for it. From my own perspective and judgments, this man deserved what he got. And frankly, I wished he'd got more. I was infuriated at the injustice for the families who would never see their loved ones again. But then, you know, I began to ponder the love of God and I felt God say to me, if I forgive you of your many sins, what makes you think I can't forgive the night stalker? And I felt embarrassed at my attitude. And I remembered the parable that comes from Matthew 18 and it starts in verse 23. It says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he, his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him saying, be patient with me. I will pay back everything. But the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him, began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe me. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. 
When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged, and they went and they told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in and said, You wicked servant, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you, unless you can forgive your brother or your sisters from your heart. I honestly believe if Richard Ramirez had turned to God on his deathbed and repented, I honestly believe that God would have opened his arms and said, Welcome home, my prodigal son. You know, it's been said, you're going to be surprised who you see in heaven one day and who you don't. We as sons can expect to be chastised because of God's love. We can also expect him to demonstrate love in kindness, favor, compassion. God sent his son into the world to die for all of humankind. He demonstrates his love and compassion to those we don't think deserve it. Romans 2 verse 4 says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? To me, this is what his love looks like. Not excusing sin, but leading us to repentance so that we can enter into his joy and fullness. I hope you have an awesome day. And I bless you in Yeshua's name. See you next time.